Hi, this is Steve Addison and you're listening to The Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to hear from Movement Catalyst Nathan Shank and his topic is Engaging Empty Fields. Welcome back to the Self-Discovery Series, where we intend to identify priorities and, for that matter, define the objectives of mission from the pages of the Word of God. Today, we're going to continue to move forward and look at the empty fields of the world and ask the question, how do we engage lostness? With whom do we go about the work of mission? How do we determine and prioritize targets for mission around the world. When you realize in the harvest fields of the world, we we would recognize both peoples and places devoid of gospel witness, devoid of disciples or certainly churches. And today, as we discover our targets for biblical mission, as we enter and engage empty fields for the sake of mission, We want to take time and see what priorities, what cues the the Scripture might give us and how to define the targets of mission. To do so, we go all the way to the beginning. And we realize that wherever sin occurs, sin causes separation. You know that that's true in Genesis 3. When God comes and appears there to, before Adam and Eve, as Adam and Eve are called to account for the sins in the garden, you realize that in each case, the judgment for sin created separation. Separation, first of all, between God and man. The relationship with God was, was changed forever by sin. The relationship between man and woman, or even the woman and her offspring, That would come later. Again, separation among brothers as we see with Cain and Abel immediately following chapter 4. And for that matter, separation even of mankind with creation now subject to frustration. The need, the necessity of exiting God's presence, exiting the garden that had been prepared and scraping for a living in the wilderness outside of the presence of God. You realize sin causes separation. So it is in our world today. In fact, as we go on in Scripture, even to chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Genesis, there the table of nations, the Tower of Babel, where some in chapter 11, after the flood, spread there into the plains and sought to make a name for themselves. They intended to build a tower up to heaven as if to look God face to face. And among those who intended to make a name for themselves, God comes once again for the sake of judgment. The result there is separation. The peoples there involved in building that tower and committing that sin scattered around the face of the earth. For that matter, the languages confused as a judgment for sin. So that even chapter 11, the sin of the Tower of Babel, confirms and solidifies for us the table of nations we've read about in chapter 10. That by languages and by geography, the nations, the peoples of the earth are scattered throughout the world. And in the very next chapter, do you realize chapter 12, in the calling and commissioning of Abram, God immediately initiates his mission. That through Abraham, the nations of the earth might be blessed. 
Today in our self-discovery study, we want to look at that theme there arising and beginning in Genesis chapter 12, but here in a list of Old Testament passages, and also secondarily a a set of New Testament passages, we might consider the targets that God intended for His mission. As we go about the work of missions in our day, how and where do we prioritize targets uh, in empty fields? I'm going to give you time with your disciples, those that you've gathered, to consider these passages. And as you do, I would challenge you, which of these promises might you claim? Which of these targets for mission do you see repeated over and over again, the pages of the Old and the New Testament? I'll pray for you as you conduct this study. As we conclude the study today, I'm going to just ask you, as you read these passages, whether from the Old or the New Testament, were there specific promises that stood out? Did your heart burn at any point considering the targets that God has prioritized, intended in His redemptive mission? Uh, I love the fact that there's continuity. As you no doubt saw, the nations, the peoples, the Gentiles of the earth, that every nation, tribe, people, and language might be gathered, even culminating there in the throne room of God in the book of Revelation, so that if sin separates... It's God's mission and it's biblical missions to cross those barriers to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, to call people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, the nations gathered in the throne room of God. The end, the purpose of the mission, even missions as we pursue it today. You might be aware that what we call the modern missions movement has wrestled with these same questions. How and where do we prioritize our sending? Where do we deploy our resources? Or for that matter, as we consider prayer, what barriers to the gospel advance do we pray for? Uh, Beginning in 1974, there at the Luzon Congress for World Evangelization, a man named Ralph Winter helped us with something very similar to the study we did today to look at the nations of the earth. There, beginning in Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations, but extending all the way through the New Testament to the very throne room of God, a future reality that not yet realized, even as we find ourselves gathered there before His throne. Since 1974, throughout the 1980s, the work for the the first genuine concerted effort to define nations, tribes, peoples, and languages around the world led Great Commission organizations to, for the first time, actually submit a people group list. Today, uh, nearly 12,000 people groups acknowledged among different mission agencies as people groups defined by languages, at times by ethnicity, at times by geography, where barriers to the gospel exist. Among those people groups throughout the 1980s, 1990s, the AD 2000 movement sought to bring and even began to prioritize certain groups with the smallest percentage of Christianity, naming and referencing them as unreached peoples, UPGs. 
The AD 2000 movement culminated in a gathering in Amsterdam. In the year 2000, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association gathered Great Commission agencies from all over the world there in Amsterdam to ask the question, just how far have we come in reaching the peoples, the languages of the world? It was at that meeting that they realized not only were there groups that remained unreached, a very small percentage of Christianity, but there were many groups, even thousands of people groups that remained unengaged with the gospel. Now, it's been more than 20 years since that Amsterdam 2000. I want to tell you that today, in the generation we live, I want you to realize that even in the last two decades, the years since 2000, more than 2,000 people groups Out of our 12,000 identified globally, 2,000 of those groups have been engaged for the first time in the last two decades of Great Commission history. Well, two decades would be 1% of 2,000 years of Great Commission history. 20 of 2,000 years, that's 1% of Great Commission history. And in that same 1% of Great Commission history, the days that we live in, Nearly 20% of the world's people groups engaged with the gospel for the first time. Surely, as we consider targets for mission, there's a biblical priority. Surely, as we approach the day when we'll be gathered before the throne, there in the Revelation 5, Revelation 7 vision, surely there remain nations, tribes, peoples, and languages, barriers to the gospel worth your life as you consider mission. I trust that this study prompts you and encourages you. I challenge you to share and to pray with those you would gather that these targets, these priorities, might also be met with faithfulness and obedience. God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Now for part two of Engaging Empty Fields. Well, hello again. It's my privilege to welcome you once more to the Self-Discovery series, where we attempt to discern and define mission according to the pages of the New Testament. Today, we're going to carry on, we're going to continue, look again at that matter of engaging empty fields, pioneering in mission, as we consider the priorities, the peoples and places of the world devoid of gospel presence, devoid of disciples, or for that matter, churches, We want to ask the questions. We want to let the Scripture define for us a matter of how do we engage an empty field. So as we determine targets, as we seek to identify peoples and places, our targets for mission around the world, we hope, we intend to be led by the pages of Scripture. That's the purpose of today's self-discovery study in the matter of entry, engaging empty fields and pioneering mission. Let's consider, first of all, the example of the Apostle Paul recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, you can turn, and I'll read there, beginning with verse number 24. You know this context. You know that as Paul went ahead of Silas and Timothy there to the city of Athens, he was perplexed. He was, he was surprised to see the idolatry of the city. There he was called among the philosophers of that day to give an accounting of of the gospel that he had begun to preach in the marketplace. 
And so as he's gathered there, what we call Mars Hill, in his address in Acts chapter 17, I'll read from verse 24. As Paul continues, he says these words, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Look at verse 26. From one man, he made all the ethne, the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth and be marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. In this example of the Apostle Paul, as he proclaims the good news to those philosophers of his day, Epicurean, Stoic philosophers there in Athens, you realize that Paul expected to find God at work. He knows the the nature of our eternal God, the one who said, let there be light. He intended to shine light. In fact, as we read, he decided and discerned the times and the places, the boundaries and borders, and the places of each man's birth. God did this, verse 27, so that some of them might reach out and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Paul expected even in that dark place, to find God at work. In fact, he's been working from eternity, determining the times and places for each one to be born. Paul believed that God's plan, even from the ordering of creation, the times and places for each one to be born, was set, was a matter of God's own choosing and sovereignty. That gives Paul great confidence in the matter of engaging empty fields. Paul didn't wasn't plowing the field of his own efforts and own attempts. Rather, he was expecting to discern and join God where God was already at work. Today, as as we consider Paul's example here from the book of Acts, we're going to look also to the example of our Lord. Do you realize that in Jesus' Galilean ministry, his three years ministering among disciples, even from the first day, Mark chapter 1, that those who would follow him would be trained, equipped as fishers of men. That God intended to equip and perhaps even to mobilize those that he was soon to commission even to the ends of the earth. We're going to look at Jesus' example then and consider how is it that Jesus mobilized and equipped his followers to engage the empty fields of Galilee. By doing so, uh, as you gather with your disciples, we have this list of passages. Each one of them, an example of Jesus mobilizing, organizing two by two his disciples and sending him, them ahead of him to engage empty fields. Luke chapter 10, verse number 1, actually clarifies this for us very clearly. Jesus sent his disciples two by two ahead of him to every town and place he himself was about to go. In these, in these passages then, we see examples of how Jesus mobilized, organized, and sent his own disciples to engage empty fields. Consider this as you gather your disciples. I'd ask you, consider these passages from Matthew chapter 9. 
from Mark chapter 6, from Luke chapter 9, and again the gathering and sending of the 70 in Luke chapter 10. As you take time, consider what are the instructions that Jesus gave those that were being deployed? Are there principles that you might identify that are consistent across these different passages? Don't be afraid to ask the question why. In the cultural context of the first century, why would these principles have applied? Why and how did they fit the context of of the villages of Galilee that Jesus himself was about to enter? Take time, and even in the comparison of these passages, wrestle with your disciples. And as as you finish, we'll come back again to offer a minute of wrap-up. Did you enjoy that study? Surely, if you took time with your disciples, principles or even questions might emerge as to why in the first century what seems so countercultural to us today. Jesus instructing and even mobilizing his disciples to go into fields that he himself intended to engage. Well, now begins the hard work to take from principles from the first century and seek to apply them to the fields that, that we consider for missions in our century, in our generation? No simple task. But again, you have everything you need with the Word of God, the Spirit of God that indwells you, for that matter, the people of God around you as you discern and interpret these passages, consider these priorities, and even Jesus' instruction as he mobilized fishers of men for the first time? Surely, surely, there are ways we might simplify our patterns, our plans. If we were to think about this matter of entry strategy, how do we engage empty fields? We see many patterns, a menu of options, from schools to hospitals to the digging of wells and other things food programs, orphanages, all good things, all to be commended among the Great Commission community. And yet, when we look at the first mobilization, Jesus using only and even at times limiting the things in the hands of his disciples so that they might find God at work, that they might join him in doors that only God could open. The question comes, How then do we apply those principles today? The hard work of taking it from the first century and applying it to the fields we are engaged in ministry or mission, even in our generation. I trust that God will lead you in this. I imagine there will be needs to simplify. There will be opportunities to evaluate not just how do we enter, but like Jesus, how do we mobilize our own disciples, organize and deploy them to multiply the mission and the work of missions around the world. Wherever you find yourself with your disciples, I challenge you, remind you, that the first work of that pioneering task is to pray. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Therefore, beseech, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. I trust you conclude your study today with that same prayer. God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Now, if you're interested in uh, working through this series as a group, 
You may want to follow the link in the show notes to Nathan Shank's YouTube channel where you have a video of each and every session.